0: This is Brian, and welcome to Leadership Sense, Part 1. I spent the last 10 years teaching corporate America leadership and teamwork. Now, I've left my 9-to-5 job to help as many people as possible become leaders in their work and personal lives. Some say leaders are born, but I say they're built. This podcast is the beginning of my mission to create change on a massive scale. Join me and follow along as we explore leadership, teamwork and growth together. My name is Brian Rollo and this is Lead with Impact. Hey there and welcome to Lead with Impact. This is Brian and I am really happy that you are with me today. And you are just in time for a really special and I think enlightening and interesting episode. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to be taking some time to talk with colleagues that I really respect about what organizations and leaders need to be doing right now to respond to sort of unprecedented conditions in 2020. Today, we're going to be welcoming in Tom Shin. Tom is someone I've known for a couple of years, I guess, and he's an engagement and culture enthusiast with 25 years of leadership, management, sales, and HR management experience. He also is the creator of Build Better Culture, and that's an organization built around helping other organizations find their sweet spot between their employees and their values and you probably know me, but if not, my name is Brian Rollo. And when I am not talking to you on this podcast, I run a consulting company called Brian Rollo Consulting Group. And the focus of that group is collaborating with organizations to help them build their cultures and enhance their cultures. And at the same time, helping their leaders become more confident create better results, and connect more with their team. So as you can see, Tom and I have some overlap. That's one of the reasons that I am looking forward to talking to him today. And our topic is going to be leadership and caring for the people that you lead. How can leaders sense the needs of the people that report to them? How can they care for those needs? And how has that changed in our current environment? So we have some questions. I don't know what Tom's going to say. He doesn't know what I'm going to say. We're just going to get together and hash it out. So I'm looking forward to it. If you are interested in leadership and leading people and in what's happening right now around culture and organizations, this is the episode for you. And Tom, welcome to Lead with Impact. How are you? I'm doing great, Brian. Thanks for having me. Well, happy to have you here. So we are going to be talking about a lot of things. But really, we are going to be focusing on what leaders need to understand right now, what leaders need to be doing right now to move themselves, their people, and their organizations forward. And I'm really happy that you and I are able to find the time to talk about this because I'm really interested in hearing your, hearing your ideas and uh, basically just creating a conversation. So I've been looking forward to it and I wanted to sort of throw it out with a question that I'd like your perspective on because I know I have my perspective. And that question is, how have people's needs at work changed? That's a great question, Brian.
1: It's, it's something that... been bouncing around in my head since this whole crisis started, and and that's across the board. Uh, The employees' needs, the managers' needs, uh, they're both things that have changed, but specifically regarding the the employees' needs, uh, there's a lot of mindset stuff that's transpired over the last few months, both in the sense of us adjusting to a new way to doing work, but also... A different way to think about how we have to care about one another, our families, neighbors, loved ones, supporting each other in terms of just making sure that the elderly neighbor has food coming in and somebody's going to mow their lawn these days. There's, there's a lot of pieces. And then you see the, the parent who is working a full-time job while trying to teach their seven-year-old how to do the new bath. You and I will joke at that one. Um <laughs> But, yeah, it, it's it. there's a lot. There's quite a few things, and it's hard to imagine, especially if you're uh, a manager or leader who doesn't have kids, to really fully embrace just that one aspect. What is it like when the second grader is coming to you every 17 minutes? Mom, I've got a question. Dad, I've got a question. And some of it's real, some of it's not, but they're used to having that teacher in front of them raising their hand so you do this and this and that, and that structure, and it's all gone. And this parent, who may or
0: may not have been an educator,
1: has to adjust to it. How do you make that adjustment?
0: Right. I mean, even, A, from a time management perspective, I'm on the job, and how do I manage my time to my employer, and also manage my responsibility for my child's education. But I think there has to be a psychological component of that as well. In other words, I, I wanna give my best to my employer, but I wanna be there for my child as well. That in itself has to just represent some turmoil and some conflict inside somebody's head.
1: Yeah, and I think for the most part, what we've seen is a lot of employers, especially the first couple of months, they were pretty flexible to it. Um, they understood that parents had conflicting needs, that you had sometimes, I think it's probably obviously more difficult in the single parent role, having to do all those things. But when you have somebody to balance that workflow with, with it somewhat softens the blow. But now as we start to enter this return phasing that we're in now here in New York, it's, the pressure's on to get back to work and get back to normal. But what do these parents do? You know that amount of stress you think about, uh, I can remember when my kids were in the summer camp age, I don't know what we would do right now. I'm sure you obviously have months to think about it, but we jokingly say in our neighborhood there's, there's a couple of college kids. I'm like, it could be Camp Susie or Camp Bob, you know, <laughs> just jokingly saying that those college kids can make it their summer job to take care of everyone's kids for the summer.
0: And, you know, going back to to the, you know, expectations that an employer has for their employees, I think it's even a little bit more complicated because when we think about the explanation and situation we just talked about, obviously anybody who has compassion and empathy says, well, we shouldn't expect as much of that from that person. I mean, it's just not fair. But if we turn that into a permanent lowering of expectations, is that fair to other people who aren't in that situation? In other words, if there is a single colleague, is it fair to say, we expect you to do more than your person who's married and has the same job for the same pay? Is is that a fair way to approach it? So it's really a tough sort of situation.
1: Yeah, I, I think you see it more the the challenge with that, you see it more in jobs where you have to have that physical presence or that online presence nonstop. So I think of manufacturers where you've got to move your widgets. You've got to have people moving the widgets into the boxes or putting the widgets together, um, moving them out onto the trucks, off of the trucks. And that physical presence has to be there. And if it's not, then the things you or I may want to buy at the grocery store aren't getting there. Um, and, and that's just kind of the basic necessities type of things. You know, the, the employer has a really challenging time trying to map through how much overtime or how much extra time they can get out of a person without running and ragged. But how, how does it make everyone else feel? You, you would hope that most folks would understand everybody's got different circumstances. But when you have the quiet employee who doesn't really volunteer, yeah, I've got a Friend or a sick loved one who's higher risk or what have you, if they're not normally sharing that stuff, that person looks as plain to you and me as anybody. You wouldn't know. And so how does that manager delicately balance that?
0: Right. And the other part of it is, I think, in my experience, virtually everybody is willing to do extra for a short-term emergency for Mm -hmm. a situation where somebody just really needs everybody else to pitch in and do a little bit more. I think almost every reasonable employee is willing to do that because they know there's going to be times when the situation is flipped. But when it becomes not temporary is when the issues start to arise. So it's, it's a tough situation, but one that leaders really have to think through. And Back to your point, where possible, focus more on outcomes and results than times that somebody's quote unquote at their desk at work, um, clocking time instead of production.
1: Yeah, I think what's great about you know, silver linings here with this whole instance is you really do see uh, not only the, the leaders who have titles, meaning your managers and supervisors, step up, but you see. The individual leaders step up, and it's a great tool for employers to recognize I didn't know this person had that. They came through in a big way, they stepped up, they helped with this, they helped with that. It's almost like a working interview for being the next frontline supervisor or frontline manager.
0: Perfectly stated. And I want to circle back to that question that we started out with too, and just bring out a different angle on it. How have things changed? So you're probably familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's that big pyramid that talks about all the human needs that someone has. And it goes from physiological needs at the bottom, all the way up to self-actualization at the top. And literally a year ago, six months ago, when I was talking to leaders, we would focus on the top of the pyramid. We would focus on a sense of belonging for team members, a sense of esteem, building self-esteem at work and self-actualization, the ability to grow, to become and do more. The interesting part is right now, the bottom of the pyramid is back in play because now people literally are worried about their physiological needs. In other words, am I going to lose my job because of what's happening? Um, Am I gonna be able to pay rent? Am I going to get sick? Is my family going to get sick? Mm -hmm. So those physiological and safety needs are in play as well. And that is something A, for managers to consider, and B, a unique strain on leadership. In other words, the ability to provide something that maybe they weren't providing before.
1: Yeah, you, you mentioned, I mean, even the word pyramid jumps out to me and and one of the first things because we were talking about kids that I think of as that old food pyramid, right? So you thought about this many grains, this many fruits, this many vegetables, proteins, etc. I don't remember them all because I'm too old now. But you know, it was one of those when I thought of the pyramid, you had to touch it all. In order to have that balanced diet in your nutrition cycle, you had to have it all. And the same would apply now, I would argue. You need that full Maslow pyramid with your employees, you know, leaders have to pay attention to all the elements from the very bare bones because everyone's got a different value system. Everyone's got different things that are on their brains, on their plates, uh, stress, etc. It's, you know, there's a full spectrum. You've got to really get down to the bottom of um, what's important to each individual on a team or in an organization versus before you kind of saw them nine five, so to speak. And so you felt like you, you knew what was going on at home.
0: Well, that leads to another question then. And I know this is a question that some leaders out there are asking, maybe not out loud, but they're asking it at least internally. How much responsibility does a leader have to do that?
1: So I think from a, a human resource standpoint, there's always the balance point of knowing enough, but not too much personal information about your employees. But, This is a a generational change that we've run into, you know, in terms of both the pandemic and the societal things that are going on that, you know, while you don't want to delve too far into way too personal or, you know, segregated views about things, you do need to spend a significant amount of time demonstrating compassion. And compassion doesn't mean you need to know every single child's name and when their birth date is or you know, what country your parent came from, um, you know, or every little circumstance, but it's understanding that your employee is going through something. They're going through something challenging. And while you may have that same circumstance in your life right now, your experience is much different. Um, You know, I was talking about this with another colleague earlier where we were talking about common sense. Um, Libby Carino used to say about this, that we all have common sense, but it's all different. And it's true. You know, what you grew up with as common values aren't necessarily the same thing I would. They may be very similar, but in terms of the crossing circles or the dissecting circles, there just may be some overlap that we don't have. And so every single person that may see the same thing written in print is going to interpret it a little bit differently, much like that old telephone game.
0: Here's the thing employees. And team members receive more than one form of compensation for coming to work. So, yeah, of course, there's the monetary compensation. But there's also, for most of us, a form of social compensation where we derive social benefits from coming to work. We see our quote-unquote friends. Uh, There is psychological compensation from the building of self-esteem and that self-actualization we talked about. And even sometimes a sense of safety that people get from coming to work versus staying home. So a leader has to be aware of all those things. And I don't think, to your point, anymore that leaders have the luxury of saying, well, I'm just going to focus on the money. Not if they want to keep their team engaged. Right. They have to realize that all of these things are factors. And as a leader, you don't necessarily need to be a therapist, but you need to know that there are things that work provides, and you need to see if you can find a way to help fulfill those needs for employees when the sources of that compensation have changed so drastically.
1: Yeah. I was, you know, to, to reflect on that point, I was thinking about a book that I'd read a long time ago. It was probably 15 or 20 years ago. It was by Marcus Buckingham uh, First Break All the Rules. And back then, I was a younger supervisor, manager, and one of the things I took from it was that favoritism was okay. Um, not favoritism in the negative sense, but being able to, and it took me a while to kind of digest this, so you'll get where I'm going in a second, but you know, initially it it was just that word favoritism, you know, giving somebody something more than what everyone else got. When I look back at it, it wasn't that I was managing through favoritism is that I was providing different things to different people based on their situation, based on their need, based on their potential and developmental goals. Um, so it just came across you know, initially because of that book, that term favoritism popped out. And so leaders shouldn't necessarily shy away from providing extra care and attention to one employee versus another, but just make sure that you're paying attention to their differing needs um, or addressing the fact that they may not be as clearly stated or visual for each person.
0: Now we've sort of been dancing around this. Does it make sense to expect full work-life separation? Wow, it's a tough one. You know, I, I
1: i I hear people say the new normal a lot and the phrase doesn't really resonate with me. I don't think normal will ever be normal. I think we're in a evolutionary process right now where things are gonna continue to bend and morph and change shift. And so that full work-life separation, it really depends on the organization and how they embrace that separation of, all right, I'm in work mode, I'm in life mode. Um, There are some places that know how to communicate with their folks. Look, you've got a softball game to go to with your kids, or you've got homework to do with them, or you gotta go pick up some groceries for mom and dad and bring it to them. I think it's not so much of a nine-to-five thought process now as it was even a year ago. Um, I think we're in a different era now where you bend and flex and understand that there's a trust factor that goes with your employees. So that way, you know that in a full work week, you're going to get a full work week out of them, and you're not going to have to think about it because of the results that you're going to get. And if you do have those questions, well, then you need to set clearer expectations from everybody.
0: I think that the concept of work life separation really, I mean, obviously there's a need for it, without a doubt, but it almost is a remnant of an older time. I mean, back in the days, I'm old enough to remember this, at least myself, before cell phones. Really, there was real work-life separation. You came to work and you were pretty much technologically separated from home. Right. And unless there was a real emergency for somebody to call you up at the office, you were literally separated. But technology has gotten rid of that separation. People bring home with them, with their devices. So that's just a simple part of it. But it goes to show you that there is no more real separation because what happens at work will affect us at home and what happens at home will affect us at work. Now, as a leader, you can't manage home, but you'd be naive to think that what's happening at home does not affect the employee or team member that's sitting in front of you.
1: Yeah. And I, I you see a lot of organizations doing great things uh, where they're telling folks, turn off the equipment at whatever time of day, don't turn it on, we'll take care of this at night, or if they're in one of those situations where they're on call, they really reinforce the ability to ask for help. And I think that's got to weave itself more into this work-life separation is being able to ask for help so somebody's not feeling completely burdened with having to do everything nonstop, especially if they're at a key level in the organization that they feel no one else can um, I've had some conversations the other day, as well as a couple months ago, where you see certain leaders and organizations, they want to let go, but it's easier to do it themselves. It's faster and more efficient. And then you have conversations with others that want to invest the time to teach people to cross train them in certain areas so that they can have that ability, not only to take the workload off of themselves, but for the other person, the recipient,
0: to know that they can do the same.
1: And I, I think that's real critical to the next stage that
0: we're in. So let's recap. We've sort of come to the conclusion, I think, that A, leaders have responsibility to care for the whole employee, the whole person. Maybe we don't want want to say employee, (laughs) but they have responsibility to care for that whole human that's in front of them. How do they do that?
1: I think you start with simple questions of how are you and what else? Meaning, find out what's going in their life, listen to it, put their other devices away, have a conversation, give thoughtful feedback. You know, I understand you feel frustrated. Oh, or, or that sounds really deep. Do you need any support with that? Is there anything I can do? Uh, can I recommend somebody for you to talk to or provide this service? You know, engaging in that conversation. I can remember early on as a manager, that was one of the first lessons I learned is shut the device off, close the computer screen, have a conversation with your people. Um, And then, you know, making sure that you're asking that and what else question. So that way you know that they've gotten everything off their plate, off their chest, because a lot of times it'll take a few questions to get to that point.
0: I like to tell people care enough to care. In other words, care enough to actually care. That's not care enough to pretend to care, (laughs) you know? Not care enough to put put on a front that you care, but care enough to actually have some empathy and learn a little bit about that employee. And when you do that, that looks like creating one-on-one time. It looks like shutting off the devices, like you said, carrying it off so you're not gonna be tempted to do three other things while that person is in front of you. Creating that one-on-one time, sticking to it, and just investing some time and emotional energy to make sure that this person in front of you, A, is in a position to become the best employee that they can, which will help you, your team and your organization, and B, getting some sense of fulfillment from their work, which is going to help them and certainly also help you and your organization in the long run. Absolutely, perfectly said. All right, this has been a great conversation. Let's stop here and uh, I look forward to our next conversation.
1: Sounds great, Brian, I appreciate you having me on. This is a fantastic start to our uh, series of discussions.